in 1 Kings chapter 20 this evening. Uh, if you make uh, your way over there, we will get in to our study in short order. But just to let you know, for those of you guys who, who are here on a regular basis, um, just to let you know that uh, tonight we will not be seeing Elijah in this chapter. Elijah has become quite a, quite a man in our studies. Um, he, is, he is known as one of the greatest prophets. Um, and the power and everything that, that, that we just see in this man. And for the last three chapters, we've gotten to know a little bit more of Elijah. And then last week... You know, when we're kind of going through it, he kind of runs from, for, for his, his dear life, you know. And now that's when I can start relating to him because, again, when he was doing all these miracles, seven miracles he was a part of and in, in two chapters, and you're going, man, everything this guy touches is golden, you know. Does he ever do anything wrong? Or does anything bad ever happen in his life? Because I just can't see it. And then we got into chapter 19, and... Jezebel threatens his life and he runs. And it's not like he just ran to the other side of town. He ran for like 300 miles for like six, six weeks, seven weeks. And he just was on the run. And I'm going, I could relate to that. I could relate to that, you know, that, that when things get hard, I want to run. I want to take off. I want to do all those kinds of things. And so anyway, so we see all this stuff about Elijah. But you get into chapter 20, it's like, oh man, Elijah's, Elijah's not here, man. It's almost like it's going to get boring. Well, it's not going to get boring. But last week, when we finished off with Elijah, he had met up with, with another young prophet that he was going to be raising up by the name of Elisha. And so him and Elisha were going to become these, the, the, this, this team for a time. And Elisha was going to be taking over for Elijah. And so... Um, it could be that these two are getting to know each other because he called them out of you know what he was doing, and uh, and maybe or maybe they're they're off seeking the Lord for a time. Um, they are basically off the grid, sort of speak. Um, but more than likely, these two guys were probably um, with the sons of prophets, as we'll see uh, that word or that phrase mentioned this evening. Uh, which the sons of prophets was like a, a school for prophets. This is where like the younger prophets would go and the older prophets would mentor them. And so I don't know if that's where they're at. I'm just thinking in my mind because we don't see these guys, but we're going to see some prophets come up. Um, and it's quite possible that that's where they were hanging out, but they were off the grid, at least for this chapter. Um, so as these guys are off on their little retreat, little seminary, um, the focus is back on King Ahab. And again, just kind of bringing you up to speed a little bit. I know we got some of the teenagers in here tonight. To bring you up to speed with Ahab. Ahab is considered to be the worst of the worst of the kings of the northern kingdom. And, and we, we've met his lovely wife, uh, Jezebel, um, who, who was a piece of work. And uh, she was just wicked. She was just evil. And she's the one that threatened Elijah's life. But anyway, so the focus is back on him. We don't see her, but we see him. And this is what I find amazing about this chapter, is that even though he is known as the wicked 
of all the kings, the most wicked, even surpassing Jeroboam, who, who was like, man, everybody sinned like Jeroboam. And this guy was worse than him. And he surrounded himself with, with just evil and wickedness. And what I trip out about this whole thing is that the Lord still loves Israel, his people. Now, again, we're talking about the northern kingdom. It's called the nation of Israel or the people of Israel, the house of Israel. And the southern kingdom was where the two tribes were, and that is known as Judah. But we're dealing with the northern kingdom. And to date, there's been like seven kings, and not one of them has done right in the sight of the Lord. They have continued to do evil or wicked in the sight of the Lord. And this, this chapter just goes to show me that he doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up on people. And I love that about the Lord. And that's why I think, you know, just kind of getting into this chapter, just kind of going, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. You know, I never want to be in the position of, of Ahab, but at the same time to see somebody like that and you still coming around, Lord, to say, hey, I, I'm still showing myself strong in your life. And so he gives them time and time again to repent and stuff. So be that as it may. Chapter 20 of 1 Kings. Oh, let's read the first 12 verses and then we'll move on from there later. It says, Now Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him, with horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Then he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. Then the messenger came back and said, Thus speaks Ben-Hadad, saying, Indeed, I have sent to you, saying, You, you shall deliver to me your silver, your gold, your wives, and your children. But I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the houses of your servants, and it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, they will put it in their hands and take it. So the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble. For he sent to me for my wives and my children, my silver and my gold, and I did not deny him. And all the elders of the people said to him, Do not listen nor or consent. Therefore he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king all that you sent for to uh, all you sent for to your servant the first time I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought word back to him. Then Ben Hadad said 
or sent to him and said, the, God, the gods do to me, and more also, if enough dust is left in Samaria for a handful of, for each of the people who follow me. So the king of Israel answered and said, tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. And it happened when Ben-Hadad heard this message as he and the king were drink the kings were drinking in the uh, command post that he said to his servants get ready and they got ready to attack the city man oh man the nerve of this guy i'm thinking this guy this king of syria ben hadad has the audacity <laughs> to to say hey man i want your silver and your gold Give me your wives, the loveliest ones, and the loveliest of your children. I'm thinking, what nerve? What nerve this guy? But it, it almost seems like this guy from Ben, this guy Ben Hadad. It's like he understands and he knows that this king, King Ahab, is spineless. And we've seen this throughout the time that we've been studying about Ben or about Ahab. Ahab, even though he's the king, he's not much of a leader. He, he, he doesn't stand up very often, especially as we've seen to his wife. He doesn't really have a lot of whatever. He, 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 he lets people walk all over him. And we saw that with with the way he conducted himself with his wife and what his wife does, and, and we'll see this even in the next chapter. But we see that when he was with Elijah or with uh, Obadiah or these other guys, he seems to be a nice guy. He just doesn't have the wherewithal to really lead and lead with power. And it could be that because of the defeat that he had with the prophets of Baal uh, the, the other chapter ago, a couple of chapters ago, that, that he just feels so defeated. That, that, that he just doesn't have any fight in him anymore. Never seemed like he did, like he was that type, but he just doesn't seem to take a stand anymore. So, so in essence, King Ahab has surrendered to the king of Syria. And in some translations, it's called Aram. Now, we see King Ahab letting him have the silver and the gold. But he, I, I, and I guess I could see that. It's like, hey, I'm going to come and plunder you. <laughs> and I'm going to take your silver and gold. It's mine. Okay, well, whatever. But he also... He also wants the wives, his wives and children. So we've only met one wife, but it tells us here his wives. And, and so now we know that he has plenty of wives and children. But it says only the loveliest or best or fairest of them. Not just of the wives, but of the children as well. I just want the good ones. I don't want the other ones, he's basically saying. And this is where I would put my foot down. 
It's like, oh, no, you take them all. <laughs> you take them all. <laughs> and all the brats, take them all. You can't just choose which ones you're going to take, <laughs> right? <laughs> you see, with his luck, he would have taken them all except Jezebel. It's like, you're, just, you're stuck with Jezebel. That's your lot in life, bro, for marrying this wicked woman uh, and her kids. <laughs> and he says, man, here's my chance to get rid of her, man. You're, you're taking them all. That's not the way it went. <laughs> so, <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> the guy going, man, I'm going to put my foot down. You're taking them all. Oh, geez. Anyways. But, but I, see, I see here almost like, like a man who has been defeated. You know, you, you, you see this man here that, that, that he's being taken advantage of by this king. And he's basically just saying, I've already lost this battle with the, with the prophets of Baal. I, I, I can't even stand up to my wife. I can't do this. I can't do that. And maybe he's just in a place where he's just so, so defeated. Because it, it just seems like he asked for these things. And then the king comes and says, man, that was, so, that was really easy. Uh, um, on second thought, um, not only do I want all those things, but I also am going to send my guys, my officials, my servants, and they're going to go in not only to your house, but to your servant's house. And whatever you like and stuff, they're going to take, and it's theirs too. And again, you're almost feeling like, man, this, this guy, Ben-Hadad, it's like taking candy from a baby. It's that easy, man. It's not going to be a, a big deal. Can you imagine having a leader like that? that, that that's willing to, to just give up his country, basically. Who, who, who doesn't have enough guts to stand up and protect his country anymore. Just whatever you guys want, man. Whatever, whatever you guys want, go ahead. Come, come and plunder whatever you want. Can you imagine having a leader like that that nobody respects? Obviously, these kings from these other countries have no respect for this guy because they're going, hey, I want your silver and your gold, they're mine. And I want your wives and your kids, the best ones of them, they're mine. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to send my guys in there and they're going to take whatever they want. And you can't do a thing about it. Again, I don't know if you've ever been in a position where you just feel so defeated that you just surrender. And you're going, I can't do it no more. I just, I just can't do it no more. And this is what I see in this man here. He's been in power. He, 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 he's running this nation, but it just seems like he has no fight left in him. And it just seems that everybody is taking advantage of him. Can you imagine just being in that position? And maybe you've been there. And you see no way out, and you're just going... I'm just ready to give up on life because nothing's working out anyways. So why, why, come on in, man. We'll just be your slaves, basically. Now, this, this is not just an example for someone who, who is a leader of a nation, but for anyone who leads in any capacity, as I'm seeing here. Because a lot of us, we, we've been put in situations to lead. If you have a family, you've been put in a situation to lead. You really have. 
husband and wife. It, it, at work, maybe. You're, 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 you're an example or you're a leader. You've been in a situation where, 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 where you're leading. So it's, it's not just a king, per se, or, or a leader that, that has a nation. But to be someone who, who is a leader and not being able to stand up against those who want to take advantage of you and try to take over. And I'm not saying that, that now you have to be this kind of leader that's that just rude and mean and, and cruel. No, there, there's a difference of, of standing up for what is right, standing up for what you've been called to stand up to, and one who is just defeated that just wants to give up on life because he just can't seem to, to get it right and, and, and people just want it and pl- come in and plunder and you're going... I'm done with life. I'm done with it. And so I, I think it, we can relate to, to or, or, or kind of bring it down to our level and say, okay, I might not be the king of a nation, but I've been in places where I just feel like surrendering it all and letting people just take it all. Because I, I, I'm worthless. I, I haven't done anything to really stand up. But in verse 7, it says that, he, that the king, the king of Israel, Ahab, he called for the elders of the land and said, Notice, please, and see how this man seeks troubles. Like, no kidding. Well, you haven't done anything to stop this guy. Again, to the death, man, if you have to. But you haven't even done that. But he calls these guys... And he says, you know, he, he sent and he, he asked for my wives, my kids, my, my stuff, and, and I didn't deny it. But now he wants to send his elders, his people, to come in and, 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 and just take it off from you guys even. And I love that these guys, it's like, stop. Stop. What, what, what are you doing giving in to these demands? This is foolishness. And I'm so glad that at least he went and sought some counsel of somebody that at least going, dude, you're going to ruin us as a nation if you just allow this to happen. Quit giving in to his demands. You know, again, this guy was so under the pressure of, of giving up and giving up completely, basically. And I think it's important to have people around you that will advise you with, with a clear conscience and, 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 and be a voice of reason to say, stop. You can't let this go on. Because you're going to ruin yourself and you're going to ruin your family and you're going to ruin the people you're over. And in this case, you're going to ruin our nation if you, if you allow this to continue. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says, where there is no counsel, the people fail or fall. But in the multitudes of counsel, in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. And so I'm so glad that at the point of going, okay, the second message has come in. Now they want to plunder not just me, but everything around me and the people in my life. I better, I better go ask somebody, what do I do here? I'm in trouble. And this guy seeks even more trouble. To be able to have people in your life that will be the voice of reason. 
that, that, that will at least give you some encouragement, that have some wisdom because you can't see outside this big old thing that's in front of you to say, no, there's something more on the other side. You can get back up. You can continue on. Don't give up. And so it says that therefore he sent the messengers back to Ben-Hadad to say, hey man, I, I, was, I was ready to agree with you on the first part and I'm thinking, why even do that? But be that as it may, he was agreeing to that. But he sent messengers to say, no, you can't do that. It's hard to believe that this guy would consent to any of that. But he does finally stand up to the second demand, at least. And then we go into this little, in, in these verses, verses 10 and 11, this little tit for tat between Ben-Hadad and, and the king of, of, of Israel. And Ben-Hadad says this, the gods do so to me and more also. And I thought, I wonder if that rang in, in, in uh, King Ahab's ears because his wife, when, when, when in the last chapter, when, when she says, and Jezebel sent messengers to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. This guy basically says the same thing, but now it's turned around on him, saying, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you, and if I don't come after you, then my gods, these fake gods, may they do to me, you know, uh, whatever, you know, whatever, you know, they, they want to do to me. And, he's, and he basically tells this guy, we're going to pulverize you. We're going we're, 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 we're to smash you so much that my guys aren't even going to get a handful of dust because we're just going to pulverize you. And Ahab says, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like one who takes it off. In, in our day and age, well, we, we would probably say, don't count your chickens before they hatch. <laughs> don't get too cocky here. I think, <laughs> because in the last verse here, verse 12 that we read, I think that the, the last thing King Ahab wanted was a war. But because there was some liquid courage going on, it was flowing with Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings. I'm sure Ben-Hadad thought, drunk or sober, I don't care, man. We're going after these guys. These guys are nothing. And so he told his people, get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. Verse 13 says, suddenly a prophet approached. Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. 
So Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus says the Lord, By the young leaders of the provinces. Then he said, Who will set the battle in order? And he answered, You. Then he mustered the young leaders of the provinces, and there were 232. Uh, <clears throat> there was 232. And after them, he mustered all the people of the children of Israel, and uh, 7,000. So, in verse 16, So they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. The young leaders of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol. And they told him, saying, Men are coming out of Samaria. And he said, So he said, If they are coming out for peace, take them alive. And if they are coming out for war, take them alive. Then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them, and each one killed his man. So the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the, the cavalry. Then the, the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. Here is where it kind of gets interesting to me as I was looking at this and studying this. Elijah and Elisha are nowhere to be found in this chapter, in this situation. There's going to be a war happening and, 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 and the king of Syria is coming in and I don't know if Elijah has heard what's going on or not, but they're nowhere to be found. But God still has others at his beck and call and I love that. This prophet must have been one of those 7,000 prophets who had not bowed the knee to Baal. Remember when, when, when Elijah was going, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that's doing the work. And, 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 and the, uh, the, God tells, tells him, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. So this must have been one of those prophets. And he comes on the scene with no fanfare. He doesn't get, we don't even get his name here. But I love the fact that he sends a prophet to the king to deliver a message to the king. And it is a powerful, powerful message. Now you would think because of the wickedness that King Ahab has been in and the fact that he's trying to kill Elijah, one of God's prophets, you would think that with all this stuff going on that God would say, hey, I'm sending you over there. Tell him I'm going to snuff him out. Tell him I'm going to take care of your whole army. All of them are gone. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. This message, even though it's pretty bold, <laughs> and it says, he says, in essence, that King Ahab can see the multitude of the army of, of Ben-Hadad coming. He says, have you seen all this great multitude? And I'm sure he's going, yeah, they're right in front of me, man. The army's coming. We're going to be destroyed. And the message 
that he gives him is, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. How is that even possible? I, I, I'm wondering if, if even Ahab is out there and he's seen the multitudes and he's probably thinking, why did I ever listen to the elders? Here I started a war. But he's out there in the situation and somehow, for some reason, God wants to show himself strong still with King Ahab. to the northern kingdom of Israel who has not had a good king for hundreds of years and they have been following after other idols, other things. They have given themselves to wickedness, perversion. They have done all these sorts of things and why is it that at this moment when God could just snuff out the whole king and kingdom from the Assyrians says, no, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to deliver them into your hands today. Why would God do that? Why would God do that in our lives? When we continue to sin against Him, when we continue to take advantage of His grace, of His mercy, of His love, day in, day out, all the time, why do we, you know, we're always asking for forgiveness, we're always doing this, because we mess it up, and we mess it up, and we mess it up, and why is it that God would say, hey, but I still love you? Like, why? Why would you do that, God? Why would you be so good to me? At this moment, I don't even understand why, Eli, or why Ahab is not just bowed down saying, I repent for everything that I've ever done. If you're promising that you're going to deliver these guys into my hands, why would you, God? I have not served you. I have been serving the Baals. I have been ser- serving Asherah. I've been serving everybody, man. And yet, you want to show yourself strong. This message, man, that he he hears from him is, Behold, I will deliver them into your hands. And you shall know that I am the Lord. He knew that already, though. He knew that that was the Lord. But he reminds him, I want to show myself to you again. And so Ahab, he says, By whom? Who is going to do this? Wouldn't it have been funny if that prophet said, oh, it's going to be Baal. (laughs) Baal's going to deliver you, man. I wonder if he would have said, he lives, he's good. (laughs) No. He's going to use the people that God's already put in place. But it is the Lord who shows up and goes before him to fight this battle. Now we know that from chapter 16 that Ahab's father, Omri, he had split the northern kingdom in two and it is quite possible that at that time when all of the, 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 the conflict between the northern kingdom was going on that he set up different districts or provinces. And it was probably at that time that he raised up these leaders to, to oversee these these cities and these towns in the northern kingdom. And it is at that time that now these young leaders are set in place. And when he says, by whom, that the prophet says 
Thus says the Lord, by the young leaders of the provinces. And he's going, okay, so they're going to be the ones that are going to fight this battle. And then he asks, and who's going to set this battle in order? Who's going to be like the, 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 the big cheese here? Who's going to be the, the big kahuna, the one that, that kind of takes care of this, oversees the whole thing? He says, you are. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like, um, I've been a chicken all my life, man. I have not had a backbone and I can't tell you how long. I've never even stood up to anybody, to anything for years. And you're telling me that I'm going to go and fight this battle because we've never heard of another battle that he's been involved with because he's always just passive and he always gives up and he always lets somebody else take care of it and stuff like that. And this time God says, no, you're the man. I'm going to put you in the forefront. You're going to want, be the one that sets, sets up this, this whole battle. And you know that Jezebel's nowhere to be found right now. Because he would have looked at us like, honey, should I do this or not? <laughs> and it's like, no. There's nobody here but you, and you're going to take care of it. Because she's the one that ran things in his house. And for some reason, she's out of the way. And again, <clears throat> it's interesting to me that even though Ahab... And for that matter, that whole northern kingdom was so far away from God. They have been far away from God for years. And still, God. God wants to make himself known to them. He wants them to know, I want you to know that I am the one that's going to see you through this. And the scripture that came to mind was from 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, where it says, This is a faithful saying. If we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. <laughs> For all these years, he knew, that's still my people, and I am still faithful to them. That's my bride. I'm their husband. And I've let them go do whatever they wanted to go do, and there's been consequences along the way that he has allowed to happen. And this time, this day, for some reason, he says, let me step in right now. I'm going to go send a nobody, a prophet that doesn't even have a name that we know of here. I'm not sending the big cheese Elijah. I'm sending this prophet. You go, you go tell them. I'm going to show up. With no fanfare, no nothing. And I'm sure he's going, who are you again, kid? Let's go. God will be faithful. And from verses 15 to 21, King Ahab and the young leaders, they muster up this group of people 232. And then he musters up 7,000 that will be with him. And it's interesting that, that he has 7,000, that number, because it was, it was about the same amount of number that God says, hey, I have 7,000 prophets who have not bowed the knee. And you're going to have 7,000 people with you, men, that are going to help you fight this battle. He's not saying that it, it was the prophet's. 
But these people, these men, they go and attack the Syrians. And it's not just the Syrians. It's 32 kings of different cities and, and, and places. So, so they have a good-sized army. But they're out there continuing to get drunk. <laughs> because to them, it's, no, it's a no-brainer, man. We're going to kill these guys. We're going to slaughter these guys. It's not going to be a big deal, man. So they're, they're out there just partying it up, man. And they're going to go take care of business in the morning. And when he sends out a, a group of guys, and he says, hey, man, we see these guys coming after us. He says, hey, if they're coming in peace, take them alive. If they're coming to get worse, take them alive. It's no big deal. And he was probably wanting to take them alive so he can make them slaves and servants. And so, to his surprise... <laughs> King Ahab took him by surprise. And I'm sure it sobered him up pretty quick. As he hops on a horse, finds himself on horseback, and he has his wind in his face, man. He has the wind in his face as he's getting away from the battle, and that'll sober you up in a big, in a hurry. And once again, God shows himself strong to a people who have gone so far away from him and become so wicked. And I just thought, God never stops. God never stops loving His people. If you are His, He never stops loving His people. I, I, I don't know what you're battling today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you just feel so defeated in your life that you're going, I don't even think God's on my side. I, I've been so far away. I've done so many stupid things. I, I, I don't even know. I, I, I've, I've, you know. I've suffered the consequences of sin, and I don't know if God would even take me back. And here we see that the Lord shows up. He says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And then in verse 22 to 30, it says, And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, go strengthen yourself, take note, and see, that, uh, and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come against you, come up against you. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, to the king of Syria, their gods are the gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each one his position, and put captains in their places. And you shall muster an army like the army that, we, that you have lost. Horses, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to the voice, the voice, and did so. So it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and given pro, uh, provisions, and they went against them. 
Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, Because the Assyrians have said, The Lord is the God of the hills, but he is not the God of the valleys, Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they encamped opposite each other for seven days. So it was that on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. And the rest fled to Aphek, into the city. Then a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left. And Ben-Hadad, uh, and Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city, into the inner chamber. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if this is the same prophet back in 22 that was in verse 13. It's quite possible it's the same prophet. It could be another one. But be that as it may, God sends a prophet to, to Ahab once again, and he tells King Ahab and the northern kingdom, who had been wicked for all these years, and he tells them what to do and when to do it and how to do it. Again, it just boggles my mind that these guys have not totally repented at this point and turned back to God from their wickedness and back to the Lord. But it doesn't tell us any of that happened. But the Lord continues to reach out to them. And in this instance, the Lord tells them what's ahead and prepare yourself and be strengthened in yourself. Meanwhile, up in Syria, his servants are telling him, hey, well, the God of Israel, he is the God of the hills. That's why we lost. But if we fight them down in the plains, then we will take care of them. And what they have forgotten is that, that God is the God of all the earth. <laughs> he, is the, he is the Lord over all the earth. And so while they're giving him counsel... God has already given the king of Israel counsel. In, verse, in, in, in Psalm 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven, in the heavens, shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Now I know that that's talking about the end times, but man, oh man, does that fit these guys. They're plotting. It's like, ah, oh, he's the God of the hills, but we will beat him down here. So see, it's not just Israel that they're coming against. They're coming against God Almighty, and God's going, you don't even know what you're messing with. 
And this just goes to show to me, once again, that it doesn't matter what the enemy plots against you, against God's people. God is still their God. I don't care what this world throws at you. I don't care what your own flesh does to you. I don't care what the enemy does in your life. God is still your God. He doesn't stop being your God. Oh, again, he might allow some defeats in our lives, but he never stops being our God. He never. He will always be our God. And in the end, he wins the whole battle. He really does. It says that the northern kingdom looked before them like a little flock or two little flocks of goats. They were separated like this. And compared to the countryside that was filled with, with, the, Assyri- with the Syrians. Once again, it proves that with God, we're a majority. We always win. <laughs> God's always on our side. And it doesn't matter what surrounds us. It doesn't matter how big our situation is or how, how massive or, or how outnumbered we might feel. With God, we still have the victory. One way or another, we're going to get the victory. And then in verse 28, it says, And the man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel. Once again, God sends the king a message by one of his own. This is the third time in this chapter that we have seen God send somebody, whether it was the same guy or different guys, but he sends somebody three different times. This one he calls a man of God. And he gives them some amazing intelligence and tells them this is what they're thinking. <laughs> this is what they're saying in their little huddle. I'm telling you what they're saying. I'm thinking, that's awesome to have that kind of intel. When, when, when the Bible tells us that God is long-suffering, He truly is. <laughs> when the Bible tells us that God is patient, He truly is. For three different times we see Him come to this wicked king because He is still His. And He shows up. And again, it says nothing here that this king turned back to God but yet God still reached out to him still. I just think it's fascinating, guys. This is why I believe that God doesn't play around with our salvation. If you're saved, you're truly saved. If you're truly saved, then then there's nothing that you can do to run so far away that he cannot reach you. That he will not send somebody into your life to remind you of who he is. Because he's done that time and time again in this chapter. To this man who has ran so far away from him. Who has turned so far away from him. And this is why I believe that God does not play around with our salvation. And he doesn't give up on people. He wishes that none should perish and he goes after those who are his. I I, I believe that he gives people, even the non-believer, a chance to their very breath because he wishes that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. God 
God's a good God. He loves the world. He is not at war with the world. The world might be at war with him, but he is not at war with the, with the world. He loves the world. And once again, he goes before them and he uses this little army to set to flight these hundreds of thousands of people. And in Leviticus 26, 8, it says, five of you shall chase a thousand or a hundred, and a hundred of you uh, will put or shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemy shall fall by the sword before you. He does those things. In verse 31, it says, Then his servants, Ben-Hadab's servants, said to him, Look now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please, let us put sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they wore sackcloth around their waist and put ropes around their heads, came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, Is he still alive? He is my brother. (laughs) Now the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him, and they quickly grasped at his word and said, Your brother, (laughs) Ben-Hadad? Yes. (laughs) So he said, Bring him, uh, go, bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out, And he came up, or came, and when he had come up to his chariot, so Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities which my father took from your father I will restore. And you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus, as your father did, as my father did in Samaria. Then Ben-Hadad, or then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. What an interesting situation here. Somehow the people up north from Syria knew that the kings or had heard that the kings of the house of Israel were merciful. And I'm thinking, but wait a minute. They've had some wicked kings for hundreds of years. How is that even possible that they would be showing mercy? And I thought, well, maybe perhaps they were thinking way back to maybe David. Or maybe they have the Lord God on their mind as being the king of Israel and that he is merciful. And so they thought, well, let's just give it a shot. (laughs) Let's, Let's put ourselves, let's put some sackcloth and some ropes around our heads and 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 i was looking it up the ropes around the head sometimes they would put like a rope and hang their 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 sword on it kind of like in surrender and so they come out to say hey man why don't you show us mercy and i'm thinking wait a minute at the beginning of the chapter wasn't he what the one that wanted to plunder the whole place and take advantage of everything but now he's asking for mercy and the crazy thing is that he got it. <laughs> and I just thought, man, it, it, it's interesting what people will do when death is on the line. 
things that they will do. It's like, I want to live. I'll do whatever it takes. And so he shows them mercy. And so in verse verse 35 to the end of the chapter, it says, Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, Strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. And he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. And he found another man and said, Strike me, please. (laughs) So the man struck him, (laughs) inflicting a wound. And I'm thinking, that is a crazy situation. This guy, he's, he's from the school of the prophets area. And he says, hey, I need you to hit me. He's like, I can't hit you, man. You're my brother, man. He's like, well, okay, then, then if you don't want to heed the voice of the Lord, then the lion's going to kill you. He goes out and the lion kills him. It's like, the next guy, hey, kill me. It's like, by all means, man. Bam. It's like, hey, take it easy, man. You know, not so hard. You know? He's like, oh, no, man. You asked me to hit you, I'm going to hit you. <laughs> and it's crazy. But in verse 38, he says, Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Now, as the king passed by, King Ahab, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. Then the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes. And the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hands a, out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter disaster or destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen, sullen and displeased. And came to Samaria. Again, what a crazy little story. Here, here, here this guy is saying, hey man, somebody needs to strike me. Somebody needs to wound me. Somebody, I, I, I got this plan in my head up here that God's laying on my heart. That I have to go and confront myself to the king. And it's almost like the story that we get from Nathan and, and, and David. That he, he, he gives them this hypothetical, this, this story. And David's going... Well, that man, he needs to repay, blah, 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 and do this. And then Nathan turns around and says, you're that man. And so when this whole situation plays out and he's all disguised and, and pretending like he got jacked from somebody else, and, 
And he says, now this is what happened. And King Ahab, by his own words, predicts his judgment. Calls his own judgment out. Then you should pay for it. Because you let this man get away. And obviously, somehow, the Lord had told him, you need to kill or take care of Ben-Hadad. I, ha I have anointed him or appointed him to destruction. And because he let him go, now judgment will come upon Ahab. Again, it's almost like Saul, King Saul, when he was supposed to kill the, the Amalekites and he saves them. It's like, it's going to cost you. Again, we're talking about obedience here. And even though King Ahab had been so far away from God, and God gave him chance after chance after chance, because God does not give up on people. And we see that he did not repent. And the judgment that will come upon him, because he's going to let him go. What a crazy story, huh? But guys, if we can leave here understanding that if God loved King Ahab that much, how much more does he love you? He loves you. And I don't know what you're battling with today or if you feel so defeated, but he hasn't given up on you. He will come after you. He will continue to speak into you so he can show you who he is. And it's up to us to respond to that. Let's not be stubborn like King Ahab, man. <coughs> Knowing that, that God continued to show himself strong and he never turned from that. Sad, sad commentary. And we would not do that or be that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you once again for your word. Lord, for showing us who you are, Lord. That God, even as we look at this story and we, we, we understand where this king is coming from, the fact that, Lord, you continue to chase after him, to come after him, to show yourself strong to him, Lord, it amazes me that you will love him that much. And I just want to thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us. That no matter what we do, Lord, that you're still going to send your spirit after us to woo us back, Lord, to draw us back. And I pray that there would be true repentance in our heart, Lord, that we would turn. And understand that the only place where we should ever be is right by your side, Lord. And so, Father, thank you, Lord, for revealing these things even to us, Lord, of how much you love us. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room tonight, Lord, that, God, you would just remind them of your goodness and your grace, for you are good. You are always good, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for anything, guys, come on up. Let's stand. We got one last song. And